0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning. Uh, As Ben said, I am David. Um, I've been here at Love City since the beginning My wife and I and Eli. Eli and Lucy um, were the first kids. So we have been here for the long run. Um, And yeah, I have the honor and privilege today to be up here to teach God's word with you and to share about the season that the Lord is bringing me through. So let's go ahead and pray before we begin. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity, Father, that you have given me to come up here and share your word, Father God. I pray that as I begin to teach, Lord, that it's not my will be done, Father, but it's your will. I pray that you use my words um, as your words through the Holy Spirit, Father God. I pray that you open everyone's hearts and their minds and ears, Father, to what I have to say. but most importantly, Lord, what you have to say. God, we give you glory. We lift up your holy name. Amen. So, just want to be clear about something. Uh, The Lord is bringing me through something right now. So, what I'm teaching you is not something that I'm up here saying, this is what you need to do. This is what God says. It's something... I'm teaching myself as well that God is bringing me through so with that being said the time Vince messaged us and said hey we're going to be having this upcoming teaching Um, anybody want to do it well I'll tell you what I did not text back (laughs) I I kept coming up with, with excuses in my head about I'm um, not in the right state to be up there to teach. Um, and I waited until the last minute, and there was one day left. And that day was the next week. And I texted him and said, Darn it, you only have next week, so I can't be prepared, so it looks like I won't be able to do this. Well, God had other plans. Because... Uh, Pastor Jordan moved some stuff around, and so here I am. (laughs) So, in telling you this, uh, I wanted to make a point that this sermon series is called In Season for a reason. When we are followers of Christ, we always have to be in season. 2 Timothy tells us to teach the word in and out of season. When I wasn't feeling ready, To stand up here today, God quickly reminded me that we are never out of season, and we always need to be ready to teach the hope that we profess. So, as I was thinking about my life and all that's going on and what I could talk about today, it was very hard to choose just one thing to talk about. So, I chose 10 different things to speak on. I'm just joking. I'm just I'm just laughing. But it was extremely hard for me to pick what to teach on because I have an open book to choose from. But I believe God has chosen what he wants me to talk about for a reason. So, for those of you who would like a title for my sermon, it is Won't you be my neighbor? Now, I know some of you are thinking I'm going to go Mr. Rogers I do have some puppets and some songs, thanks to Gretna. Now, <laughs> uh, no. if, I, if I wanted to do that, I'd definitely be wearing my red sweater. But today I'm going to read a few verses and try my best to break them down and help you by the power of the Holy Spirit, not only to share my struggles and what God's helping me through right now in this season, but to hopefully show you there's hope and a God who really does love you and care for you. So first thing, we're going to turn to James 1. Now, as we turn there, I want to ask everyone a simple, honest question. How many of you have ever been told not to do something, or you've read about not to do something, but there's still something inside of you that urges you to do that thing you were not supposed to do. (laughs) That is probably a lot of us. Sorry, I thought I had my my page marked for James Wan, but I did not. You see all these in here? (sighs) Thought I was prepared, I'm sorry. I I, I definitely do, I definitely, it honestly might have gotten torn out. So, When I think of this, what distinctly comes to my mind is the time my older son, Eli, touched the burner on the stove. How many parents have continually warned their children that something is too hot for them? And a lot of time, they learn the word hot very quickly. They pick that up, they're like, hot, hot. Right? So Eli was really, really little, And we were living in an apartment in Monroe, and the stove we had had the coils on it. You know, the the coils, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a gas stove or a flat top. And we continually told Eli that this was hot and not to touch it. And he repeated the word like most kids do. But one day, his little hand reached up on that stove, and he touched the burner. At that point, he learned real quick what the word hot meant and the warning that we had continually given him. So he had blisters in the shape of coils all over his hands. But he learned not to touch that again. So after that, we know he didn't want to touch it, and he knew what the warning meant. So, this heightened a sense of wanting to listen to what we had to say. Now, God can tell us a lot from the story of mine, but I want to read James 1, verse 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not hearers who forget, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So in these verses, James is writing not only to be a hearer of a word, but be a doer as well. There's one thing I'd like to draw to your attention from verse 19. James said to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why is it that James put being slow to anger here with listening and speaking? I think they coincide because how many of us are quick to hear and quick to speak out of anger about what we hear, whether it be to someone's face or behind a computer screen? Or how many of us have read something in the Bible that we don't fully agree with and are quick to tell everyone how we feel about it. James wrote, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James then goes on and tells us to put all ourselves and our flesh aside and receive the word with meekness. Now, what does the word meekness mean? Meekness is just another word for humble, gentle, gentle, submissive. So James is telling us to receive God's word with gentleness and submissiveness. He then goes on to tell us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So this is where my story with Eli intertwines. Eli heard us say the stove was hot. He even learned the word hot. How many of us can quote scripture out of memory, but lack the submissiveness of understanding and acting that thing out because we're so familiarized with it? You see, James is warning us to not just let God's word be a memorization or something we just hear, but to let it totally consume our hearts, causing us to act upon it. Now, I could go on and on and on about these verses, but this isn't actually the set of verses I'm teaching out of today. This was just a warm-up to get you all paying attention to receive the rest of what I'll be teaching with meekness. Over the past few years, I've really struggled with true submissiveness submissiveness, to God's word, I go in and out of a very deep-rooted depression that sends me on a whirlwind of emotions, thoughts, and actions. It affects my marriage, my job, my friendships, and most importantly, my relationship with Christ. And I can go on and on about what I'm currently dealing with on a daily basis or what have dealt with, but this time, up here is not about me, it's about Christ and what he has done. So as I was thinking about what James 1 really meant to me, I came up with one set of verses that really stuck out to me about what God really wanted me to not only be a hearer of, but a doer. The story today I'm going to be taking you through is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now I know a lot of us, Have really become familiar with this certain passage and what it means, but I'm asking you please don't shut out what God wants me to talk about today because you've heard this story taught many times. Believe me, I've been in your shoes and I've shut myself off to what God has wanted me to hear. I've sat here in the pews, heard what people were teaching on, and didn't care. So I'm praying today that you guys just listen and don't push aside what I'm going to talk about. This morning, we're going to be reading out of Luke 10. So if you would turn there with me, we're going to read verses 25 through 36. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So, I'm going to try my best to break this down. So here we have a lawyer. So, by standards, in that time, this lawyer would have known the Torah. And he would have been able to recite this by memory. So here he asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus He's a smart man. He already knew what the lawyer would say because he knew the lawyer knew the Old Testament. So he responds to his question with a question. What does the law say? Now the lawyer recites Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might." and Leviticus 19.18. This talks about if there's someone in need, you should help him. Then Jesus tells him that he's answered correctly and told him, if you do this, you will live. But the lawyer wanted a little justification and replies to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, I know most of y'all, are thinking, how in the world is he about to question Jesus? He already gave him the answer. How many of us hear or read God's word, but still look for a way to justify doing our own thing? You see, the lawyer was wanting to know if he was doing just enough to inherit inherit eternal life. How many of us try our best to do just enough to get by And be okay. Therefore, Jesus answers him with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, the road to Jerusalem, to Jericho, is about 18 miles long. It's still visible today. It's a long, descending path through rocky terrain with large rocks everywhere, full of caves. So most people traveling down this road would travel in pairs and would definitely travel before nighttime. So this place was perfect for robbers or criminals to hide out. So here we have a man walking down the path alone and some robbers jump out, strip him down and leave him for dead. Now let's just picture this for a moment. We're not talking about this guy had some minor cuts or bruises. He was half dead, probably gasping for air with each breath. His body throbbing in pain, bleeding from wounds, laying in the dirt, in the heat, waiting for his body to just shut down. This man was completely helpless and his only chance of survival was someone coming to his rescue. So in comes the priest. This man was a descendant from Aaron who had the priestly duties at the temple in Jerusalem. In this this moment, the lawyer was probably thinking, oh yeah, this is exactly who should be walking by. Here we go. Leviticus 19.34 tells us, that when you see someone in need, you should do whatever it takes to meet those needs. Surely, the priest already knew that. But Jesus, at this moment in his story, tells us that he saw the man and passed by on the other side. The The study Bible commentary I have tells us that this right here was a tangible way of describing the priest's unwillingness to love his neighbor. He saw this man laying on the ground in the state he was just described in earlier. And he not only passed by the man, but he looked down at him and he moved to the other side. So he looked down at this man and was like, no, I'll see you later. Knowing in his mind what Leviticus 19 told him. Next came the Levite. He is like the assistant to the regional priest. For those of you who don't get it, it's my office reference. So he was a member of the tribe of the Levites who assisted the priest in their duties. So surely this man, who knows the law as well, and... Is in the high ranks so of the temple, will stop to help this man. Nope. He does exactly what the priest does. By now, the lawyer is probably wondering what is this man Jesus going to say next? Well, then Jesus throws a banger to the story. Jesus now says that a Samaritan is traveling down the road, sees the man and has compassion. So in their culture at this time, it was unthinkable for a Samaritan to stop and help, especially if it was a Jew. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They believed that they had polluted the Jewish bloodline and were half-breeds. By this, it was half-Jewish, half-Gentile for my fellow nerds out there. This is sort of a sense in Harry Potter. You have the muggles, which are the non-magical humans. They marry a pure-blood magical person, and they have children, and they were called mudbloods because they had dirty blood to the pure bloodline. Sorry, that's my nerd side. Jesus was also referred to as a Samaritan in John 8, 48. It says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They did this to discredit Jesus and his word. It was basically a low blow of insulting Jesus. So, now we have the Samaritan come into the story. You can sense the lawyer is probably starting to get frustrated. Jesus had brought up the two public figures from the Jewish temple who should have known to stop and help this dying man, but they walked on by. Now here comes this hated man who has compassion and stops. And you know what he does? He binds him up. Now, he probably didn't have cloth and anything like that just with him. What he did when he saw this man on the ground is he tore his cloth, what he was wearing, to wrap him up. He poured oil and wine. Here we have stuff he's using that he probably packed for himself for his journey. Remember, it's an 18-mile journey. And he pulled that to use it for this man. He then put him on his animal and walked with him the rest of the way. So here we have him pick up this man, put him on his animal, which he was riding. And now he... Sacrificed riding on an animal to walk alongside this man. So he had to walk this 18 mile trail. He then proceeds to an inn where he puts the man up and tells the keeper to take care of anything this man wants, to tend to him, gives him two denarii, and says whatever extra he needs, he will repay, repay him when he returns. Now, two denarii is about two days worth of salary. So we don't know the cost of what it is to put this man up in the inn, but this is two days worth of work for the Samaritan. Not only that, as he says, whatever else you use, I will repay you. And Jesus asked the lawyer, which one of these three do you think Proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Now, the lawyer couldn't even say Samaritan. So he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus replied, Go and do likewise. Now, I know this story is a lot to unpack, and I know that there are many other things that we can pull from this parable and how it can reflect in our lives but I wanna ask you this question. The point of why I chose this to teach on. Which one of these men are you? Are you the lawyer who is trying to find justification to do as little as possible to inherit eternal life? Are you the priest or the Levite, where you know the word, you know the law, but you run at the sight of action? Are you Samaritan, the person who will go above and beyond to love your neighbor as yourself? So my life has been a whirlwind this past year. And honestly, probably longer than that. Like I mentioned earlier, I struggle with deep depression and it often sends me into a lot of emotions all at once. This past season has been more hard, more difficult for me. You see, a lot of the root of my depression and anxiety stems from bitterness. See, long ago, I let my heart get bitter at some circumstances that happened. It started out small, but like most sinful things, it began to grow. It grew so deep in my heart That I created a hatred for people. And I know this word hate is strong, but I want you to know it was true. I just wanted to close myself off from people, especially people who called themselves Christians and my so called friends. You see, the devil convinced me that I was alone, every friendship I had was broken the bitterness became deep roots. It became so deep recently that it started to root into my marriage and towards my children. I found myself making jabs at my wife to cut her because I was hurting. I pushed aside Eli, my teenage son, and his emotions because he wasn't the Eli I knew anymore. He wasn't the little Eli that I wanted him to be. He was growing. And he didn't want to be around me. And this hurt me. I just want to clarify that I never acted out of violence. But the people I loved the most, whom I never thought I would hurt, they were hurting They were hurting for a husband, a father, and a friend. If something was too big for me to handle, I knew someone else would handle it, and it wasn't my problem. I knew what was right, but I let the deep roots of bitterness lead me to utter dismay and discouragement. Who are you in this parable? I became like the lawyer who just wanted justification that he was right. You see, in our sinful nature, we continually want to justify why we are doing the things we are doing instead of seeking what Christ wants and letting that control our hearts and our motives. Now, my loving wife was in constant prayer for me. But I knew it was very hard on her. She could bear my weight, my kids' weight, and her own weight all at once, on top of the 300-plus children she carried the weight of at school. She encouraged me to seek out others, but I just spat back that there was no one I could trust. But one day, she encouraged me to read a book that she had read called Something Needs to Change. This book was written by David Platt, and it was his journey through the Himalayans on a mission to reach others. She sat me down and read this account where David Platt was reading Luke 10 and going through the story of the Good Samaritan. He stops at one point. And asks himself, how can one love his neighbor as himself? I want to read you a piece from this book. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background. So, he decided to go to the Himalayans. Now, this is a giant, giant area. It's all through the mountains. It's like Nepal and places like that. And in this book he talks about, I think there's two or three million unreached people in the, in the mountains. Now, everything is like this trail from Jerusalem to Jericho. It is traveling through the mountains. Um, they have no help. They have no radio system. It is, we are walking from one point to the next point, hoping we make it there in time. And then they find these tribes and villages all throughout as they're walking and traveling. And this book is basically his journal and knowledge from going through there. Now, there's a lot I could possibly read from here, but I'm going to read just a little bit from here. As I reflect in my journal, I want to love God with all my heart, and I'm overwhelmed by his love for me. But what about the second phrase, love your neighbor as yourself? Again, I think about all that I've seen the last couple of days and I wonder what this really means. What does that kind of love look like here? What does it look like for me to love these people as myself? It hits me that if I were actually doing this, it doesn't seem as though I would be hiking like I am right now. If I love Kamal as I love myself, it seems like I'd be, a personal, I'd be personally escorting him down the mountain to the clinic to help him get treatment for his eye. If my eight-year-old daughter had been trafficked for sex, I'd be doing everything in my power right now to get down that mountain and find her. So if I love these families as I do myself, then why am I not running down the mountains to help them find their daughters? If I love that hungry little girl in the village as I love myself, it sure seems like I'd have given her all the food I had in my bag. If I love the family who hosted me in their home for butter tea as I love myself, I'd still be there talking with them about the love of Jesus that makes eternal life possible, not based on lighting candles and burning incense, but based on trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for all people. If I love those people who are mourning around funeral powers, as I love myself, I'd have stayed at that site and spent every waking moment talking, telling mourners how Jesus had conquered death and made eternal life possible for them. I'd have asked them who they knew were on their deathbeds in the villages nearby so I could go and share the good news with them before their bodies were placed on those pyres. How in scenes like this do I love my neighbor as myself? In a world like this, how do we possibly love our neighbors as ourselves? But even as I start to ask these questions, (coughs) sorry, I sense myself starting to justify why I've not done any of these above things. I start coming up with reasons why taking this and that action wouldn't be wise for this or that reason. And suddenly amid my searching for self-justification, I realize that I'm a lot like the lawyer in this story. In Luke ten twenty nine, I see a mirror of my own heart and a man who wanted to justify himself, asking Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This man wants clarification about who his neighbor is so he can know if he's doing enough to have eternal life. And that's the key to the story Jesus tells. You see, that moment God gripped my heart. My bitterness and my anxiety were only focusing on myself. It was a constant justification of why I was acting the way I was and tearing others down the way I was. At that moment, in my darkest time, I prayed for God to soften my heart to love those all around me as I would myself. I wanted to be like the Samaritan who went above and beyond to help someone. The key to breaking the bitterness I had was Christ's power to transform my heart to love others like I would myself. So I ask, what is stopping you? What is holding you back from loving your neighbor as yourself? (coughs) Sorry. Is it the busyness of life, your work, your family, your friends? What is stopping you when you see someone down on the road broken down? Do you think the worst will happen if we do? Or you'll be late to something wherever you're going? Or even saying someone else will stop. What is stopping you from tipping the waiter or waitress who clearly might be having a bad day or might not be meeting your standards at a restaurant? (coughs) Sorry, can someone get some water if there is any? (coughs) Sorry. What is stopping you from tipping a waiter, waitress or waiter? If you see they're clearly having a bad day or might not be meeting your standards at a restaurant, so you tip less because their service is bad. Let me ask you this. If you were on the other end of the situation, how would you feel? Your neighbors aren't the only ones. <coughs> Who are easy to love, but the ones who are the hardest to love produce the most growth. What about the coworker whom you see every day, who's hard to deal with? What's stopping you from loving them as you would yourself, or even a family member who's hard to deal with? We tend to read or understand this passage as "Love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor." We tend to take out the phrase, as yourself. You see, Christ is telling us in this parable, he wants to break all expectations this lawyer had in his head, that he was doing all that he could to inherit eternal life. He threw in the unexpected to show that we need him. We can't love our neighbors as ourselves on our own. We need Him. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Being up here talking makes your throat go dry so much. Another question. What is holding you back? What is stopping you from loving your neighbor as yourself? You see, in my life, it was bitterness and frustration and anxiety that I let creep in and overwhelm every aspect of my life until the point of isolation. What is holding you back? Could it be like the lawyer where you just want to try to do enough to earn your way to heaven and you have every excuse to turn away from the more difficult times that we are to love one another? Could you be like the priest of the Levite who knew what needed to be done but lacked the compassion and conviction to stop? What is stopping you from loving your neighbor as yourself? I want to close with this. David Platt says in this book, the kind of love God's law elicits is much greater, much riskier much costlier, and much more uncomfortable than the lawyer had ever imagined. Jesus makes the point clear. The lawyer needs a new heart. Just like we all do. There is a love for God and for others that simply can't be manufactured by religious learning. Now I ask, what's holding you back so you can truly think and pray about what's keeping your heart away from loving your neighbor as yourself. This takes a heart change that only Christ can do. It's not impossible. In my darkest times, God still made a way to soften my heart. 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers? Are we willing to be like the Samaritan, give up our comfort, our finances, our time, our energy? And my list can go on and on for our brothers. I will even go as far as saying, are you willing to put down your pride to lay your life down for others? who are outsiders or have pushed you away. This can only be done by a heart change. And before I pray, I just want to move back to the beginning of my teaching where we talked about James 1. Like many times when I walked out of here, I was just someone to hear the word and I could possibly possibly be able to quote things pastor said or the verses he read, but there was no action. I earnestly urge you, as we pray and close with communion and worship, to ask God to open your hearts to his word and to open your hearts to action. Let us be a people who are not only ones who hear his word, but also act upon it. Let us be people to always be on the lookout for ways to love all whom we come in contact with, whether easy or difficult. And let us be a people who give all we have and all we are to the spread of the gospel to our neighbors. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to to be up here and just share my heart, Father God, of what I've been going through this season, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we take communion, Father, as we worship, Lord, that you open our hearts. That you open them, Father, to the things that are holding us back from seeing others and loving others the way you want us to, Father God. God, if we love you, how could we not give everything to loving others? God, if we want and desire you, you tell us to love others. God, give us a passion and a heart to seek out those people who are lost. We might be the only Jesus that they see. Let it not be what they see someone who's in a rush, in a hurry, unwilling, but let them see the compassion that the Samaritan had, the sacrifice the Samaritan had. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your word. Let us not take, it, take advantage of having the, the, the tangible words here, Father God. We love you.